Welcome to the Colby Cast, episode 173. Thank you for joining us. Today, Bonnie and I are joined by Colby alumni, Father Ambrose DeBrosi and Deacon Charles Ohotnicki. From the memories of their faith being developed in their homeschooling years to their current lives, we hear about what it is like for a Colby student to lay down his life for Christ. We hope that you'll enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm Bonnie, Colby homeschooling mom of four lads and lasses, liturgical musician, popcorn, and podcast fanatic. And this is Stephen, homeschooling father of five and director of development for Colby Academy. Stephen, what's a good word today? Today I'm going with the word sacred. Oh, okay. Okay. Do you have any... Going to give any background there, or we're going to see where that comes back up. We'll we'll see if it comes back up here. It's a, always an interesting thing to think about, though. Definitely. All right. We have two Colby alumni joining us on the Colby Cast today. These are some of our favorite episodes to do to visit with former Colby students and and just check in, catch up with them a bit, hear how Colby has influenced their lives, what they're up to these days, and these guys in particular are serving the church in a very special way. So um, I'd like to welcome Father Ambrose DeBrosi and Deacon Charles Ahotnicki to the Colby cast. Welcome, guys. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much, Bonnie. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Let's get to know each of you guys a bit and, and hear about your Colby story and what you're up to now. Father Ambrose, let's start with you. Okay, sure. Uh, so I was homeschooled from second grade through the end of high school. Um, I, it turned out that uh, I was too ADHD for first grade. My mom will vehemently disagree that I was not ADHD. I was just a little boy and little boys have a lot of energy. And uh, either way you want to read that situation, when she was pregnant with my sister, who was the third in lines, when she quit her job, started homeschooling us. And uh, we started using Colby materials uh, during my time in high school, I believe, uh, maybe middle school too. My it's really hard to differentiate between the years of homeschooling, right? Like if you go to a normal school, you can tell like what what classroom you were in, what teacher you had. But I don't know, it's just the same for like 12 years. I have no idea. Um, so we used a good number of Colby materials, especially with the literature and history subjects. Um, and then from there, I went to Magdalen College. It's a very small Catholic school in New Hampshire, which probably all the Colby people know, but I have to explain to normal people. And... Uh, <laughs> It was a wonderful school, more classical model, more great books, uh, discussion, uh, really was a beautiful place. Very Catholic, got to go to mass with, um, everyone every day and learn a lot. Um, then got a master's in theology from the university of Dayton following that. And then went to seminary here in the archdiocese of Cincinnati in 2014, five years there to my ordination at 2019. And since then, I've just been in parishes in the Dayton, Ohio area. My first assignment was three years in Huber Heights, and now I'm in six parishes. Uh, there's a total of five priests working together. Um, sometimes I have to drive 100 miles between parishes on Sundays, but it's beautiful. It's awesome. The Lord is good, and it's it's going well. Wow. Six parishes. Okay. And your mom, you referenced, we got to visit with her on a recent Colby cast episode, Mrs. Beth DeBrosi. So we will include that link in our show notes. So listeners can, can listen to that one with her. I'm sure she has a different story than I do. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Deacon Ahotniki, will you please tell us about yourself? Sure. 
yeah, so I was, uh, I'm the third of seven, uh, seven kids, and uh, the five oldest of us, all of us who finished high school at this point, still have two younger brothers who haven't gotten there yet, but all of us uh, graduated with Colby uh, Homeschool. Uh, so I did, I definitely did the program all the way through high school. I think like father also did some of, uh, some of the program in middle school as well. Uh, so as a growing up in a military uh, family, my dad was in the air force for 25 years, we moved around a whole bunch. So homeschooling made a lot of sense, uh, for our family to have that stability, uh, over the years between all the different moves. And, uh, so was homeschooled uh, all the way through kindergarten, all the way up through high school. Uh, and then actually right after high school, uh, entered the seminary uh, for the priestly fraternity of St. Peter. And I've been uh, studying at our seminary in Denton, Nebraska. It's just outside of Lincoln, Nebraska, uh, for the past six years and was just ordained a deacon in March. And so I have one more year of seminary and uh, looking forward to priest ordination next May. So beautiful. Do you have any standout homeschool memories or experiences that come to mind? Yeah, I think one of the things that I always remember uh, growing up being homeschooled was just the the flexibility that we would always have in our family with the homeschooling. Uh, so like when I was in high school, I'd, I'd work kind of an early morning lifeguarding job. And, uh, and then after I do that, then I would come back and uh, be doing my schoolwork, usually at the dining room table. But because I worked that early morning job, often I fall asleep over my homework. And uh, but then usually we get woken up by one of my siblings and, and then keep <laughs> slugging away. So okay. um, I definitely I definitely love that aspect of just able to uh, kind of do school all over the place, uh, uh, different places in the house. And we'd be doing it at the church or in the car and everything like that. Um, so I always enjoyed that. Love that both, both the flexibility and the stability. I love yeah. both those together. That's neat. Yeah. What a gift. What about you, Father Ambrose? Yeah. So standout experiences. Um, so uh, a number of things really stand out in my memory. Uh, one of them was a, one of the, the big things that's always been, a real blessing to to us, to our family and me specifically was the broader homeschooling community in the area. So um, Cincinnati, Ohio is where we were growing up and there were just a, a bunch of other homeschooling families and uh, we got a group of them together and uh, we did a Chesterton reading club between the various different families and we'd all get together and talk about Chesterton books and it, the, it was a lot. It was, it was a bunch of high school boys and their dads talking about philosophy and politics and stuff. And it was just an incredible um, opportunity to, you know, because it's funny. It's kind of a reverse of the, the tropes that, that people like to use nowadays when we when I interact with students, it's almost always the homeschoolers who are best able to hold a conversation with someone outside of their age group who aren't always looking at their phone because their parents don't let them use them and all of these other kinds of things. And that was an, an instance of us doing that, learning that kind of learning to navigate these sorts of discussions in a way that's respectful of everyone that you're talking to, but that really digs into the issues. And really just because of Chesterton's natural wit and good naturedliness just brings out the, 
the, the joy of it at the same time. I was really, really grateful for that experience. And a uh, number, number of those folks are still friends of the family. Um, the specific experience, what's a fun story? Um, a lot of things, I, I, I don't know that I could totally sort through all of the ways in which growing up in a homeschool family impacted my priesthood. But one of them was that we had like, uh, like, like Deacon was talking about, the flexibility to just leave in the middle of the school day and go to our, our local parish for adoration. And this is, it's a little bit tough for mom to bring, you know, all of the, there's, there were four of us and some of them were small and I was older, which didn't necessarily meant that I was better behaved all of the time uh, to adoration, but she did. And it was really, it, it, I don't know that we made it every week, but it was very frequently. And it really, introduce that to our lives as something regular. Um, I'm sure it caused my mom all kinds of, of headaches, worrying about what other people were thinking about her kids. Cause I think she always had the impression that everyone else's homeschool kids were better behaved than we were, hmm. but then just being able to pray and then come home and, and talk about the prayer as well. Or uh, if we had not been well behaved, we had to make up the time that we weren't kneeling nicely, kneeling at home. Okay. Okay. <laughs> And all of those other kinds of ways in which it just became like the, it, it was one whole integrated life and it all made sense together. And I think that was one of the things that led the, this is a later question. I'm probably jumping ahead was those experiences all added together to make the priesthood Catholicism just make sense as part of life and kind of led me that direction. Yeah. If I could just follow up on what father said, I had a very similar experience for us. It was always fitting daily mass into that part of the schedule. And because we would, we would usually go to mass kind of different places because uh, sometimes I'd be serving at one parish or maybe we go into mass early in the morning, one place or going to noon mass, another place. And so having that flexibility of, of homeschooling uh, where it made it possible for our family to attend mass every day. And also for me to serve mass growing up, that was such a big part of, of my vocation as well. Um, so allowing me to, to kind of be one of those guys who could always show up and serve uh, really just got me very plugged into kind of being there on the altar uh, with the priest all of the time. And that was very inspirational for, for my vocation. Beautiful. We have this seri ongoing series here on the Colby cast. We, we call it life after Colby and we've considered many routes beyond the Colby years. Today's focus is, heading to seminary after after Colby at, at some point. So I'd like to delve more deeply into your stories and and a glimpse of what that's like making that transition from Colby to seminary. Yeah. So the um, it wasn't direct for me. It sounded like uh, Deacon, you went kind of straight from high school into college seminary, but I had a number of intervening years uh, and it was a little bit of an interesting journey. I had first started thinking about the priesthood when I was very young, seven, maybe right around first communion. Um, and it's what I told everyone that I wanted to be when I was growing up. And I had visited our, our seminary here in the Archdiocese of Cincinnati a couple times as a high schooler. And when I wrote my application letter to the, the Catholic college, I included that I wanted to be a priest. And it seemed like this college was a good place to think and pray about that while I was also studying. Um, but it, it turns out that there are these very interesting creatures called girls. And then you start to notice them around that same time. And uh, also there's the... A uh, culture on small Catholic colleges, and this is common among homeschooling families as well, is the idea that, okay, so if we just have more babies than everyone else, we can take over the culture. 
right? And that, that was very much the environment uh, at small Catholic college I was in. Um, and while I was there, despite still thinking about the priesthood, having that in the back of my mind, I met this nice young girl we dated for three years and then um, actually got engaged shortly following graduation, um, all at the same time, still thinking somewhere deep down that I'm supposed to be a priest. Um, it didn't end up working out, um, as you can probably guess by the fact that I'm a priest on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it was kind of... Uh, really difficult time coming back from that relationship when it ended to then think about what am I supposed to do with my life? I had it all planned out and now that's not going to work. Um, and then I, uh, God was really good and generous to me. This priest that I had known back when I was discerning seminary in high school ran into me again, just by chance um, after that um, engagement ended. And he was like, Hey, you still thinking about the priesthood? And I'm like, I mean, I guess I'm single. Sure. Uh, and uh, invited me to go on a retreat at the seminary. And I was like, okay, that's what I need to do. I encountered our Lord in the Eucharist during that time of prayer. He wants me to be a priest or at least go to seminary. I need to make this happen. And I'm not sure how to do it. And uh, a number of things really bridged that gap for me. Uh, one of them was that priest that I mentioned, Father Sean, who is just a wonderful spiritual director, um, really helped me get my prayer together to be able to um, sort through those emotional things with the Lord, especially in the Psalms and beginning to pray the liturgy of the hours. Um, one of it was the other, the rest of the, the Catholic community, those same people who were my friends growing up in the homeschool community were my friends again, because I, I moved back to Ohio from New Hampshire after college and just feeling that present, feeling the support of their prayers, um, getting to know them again uh, was a really big support. My, my family, of course, my parents also, who were still homeschooling the younger kids, were praying for me and supporting me through that period of time. And uh, I, I, and it worked. And the Lord, I think, did the lion's share of the work with His grace. And so I was then uh, entered seminary about a year and a half after that engagement. Um, ended. Um, I give it to some time to think and to pray, make sure it wasn't a rebound decision. And then uh, seminary was great. And I, I don't know about your experience in seminary, uh, uh, but uh, my experience was was wonderful. The fraternity was great. The prayer was such great opportunity and availability for prayer. The priests who were there to help us become good priests really loved us and really uh, gave us good formation. So it ended up working out. It was a little bit of a tough journey for part of it, but God is incredibly good. And so if he wants something, he's going to make it possible. And even if it's rough along the way, he's going to, he's going to be good. Wow. Wow. So I started thinking about the priesthood right pretty soon after first communion. Um, and when I started serving uh, mass for the first time, so I was probably around seven or eight. Um, and I can remember the specific place where I was. Uh, I was in the car with my dad and we were about to make this right turn that kind of went up this hill on the way to the church. We would, we would drive this way every time we went to the church. And I remember uh, we were about to make that turn and we were just asking my dad uh, or, or saying to my dad, uh, I think I want to be a priest one day. And what he said to me then really had a big impact upon me and I guess carried me through for, for many years was he was just encouraging. And he just said, that's awesome. And um, that's wonderful that you want to do that. And he just really encouraged me and he continued to encourage me um, anytime I would bring it up in the future as well. And 
So I guess from that point on, started thinking about it slowly uh, growing up. And uh, as I've mentioned a couple times already, was always very interested in being an altar boy and being a very good altar boy and did a lot of that growing up. Uh, so that was always a big, a big part of uh, my, I guess, journey uh, towards the seminary. And I guess when I got into my high school years, um, even though we had moved around a bunch um, with the military, we returned back to the same place where we were, uh, where I made my first communion, where I, my first interest in the priesthood started um, in Colorado Springs. And so we were attending the same parish and I was serving there again as an altar boy. Now as one of kind of the more senior altar boys. Um, and so that was a place that really helped me mature in my uh, in my discernment of my vocation from being something that I was just thinking about as a little kid to actually something, oh, this is actually something I, I might be able to do. Um, and during that time was just very inspired by the example um, of a priest uh, who was a member of uh, my community, the priestly fraternity of St. Peter. Um, and I was very inspired by uh, how he lived his priesthood and, and his character and his um, and also the way that he would he would say mass, um, which was always very inspiring uh, whenever I'd be serving for his mass up at the altar. Um, and so he was my spiritual direction, spiritual director for uh, the last few years of high school for me. And it was right around that time. One of the things that he really encouraged me was to really begin having uh, a life of prayer um, that was different from just kind of the, the rest of the family's prayer. And something that was that was personal and beginning to have that kind of personal relationship uh, with our Lord. And I remember kind of the first way that I used to start to do this would be after I'd serve mass and be with all the other altar boys. And after mass, they'd all kind of run downstairs to get some uh, some food from the parish potluck that would happen on Sundays. Uh, but because I was like, Father, what? I, Father told me I should pray more. And uh, so I would go into the church and I remember okay, I'll make a really quick Thanksgiving. It'd be two minutes or something. And I remember those would be the longest two minutes of my life. I just couldn't <laughs> wait to get downstairs and get some food. But pretty soon that that two minutes became five minutes and became 10 minutes. Um, and then went up from there. And that was just the beginning of kind of a spiritual life that sustained me all the way uh, seminary and even now. And so it was also this priest who encouraged me uh, to look more seriously into the seminary and uh, to make a visit to the seminary and to talk to the vocations director there. And I was kind of on the fence about, uh, I don't know if I necessarily want to enter seminary right out of high school. I don't know if I'm going to be ready and be mature enough or have the intellectual uh, capacity to do that. But the vocations director, he said, well, it won't hurt to apply. I mean, what's the worst they say is they, tell you to go to college for a couple of years. Um, so uh, I applied and I didn't really think I was going to get in. In fact, I had um, I had already told Christendom College um, that I was going to come when I was finishing up my application for seminary. I said, they're just going to tell me to wait anyway. Um, and then and then I went to the seminary for kind of a, a final vocations retreat. where They also do the interviews for the application process. And I just remember being there and it went from this desire to go to seminary at some point in the future to this desire to, to enter seminary uh, that, that very fall. And 
there was just that hope that the seminary thought the same thing. And uh, thanks be to God, uh, they did. And um, so entered seminary. Um, and so entering at 18, I've, uh, I've always been the youngest in my class. Um, and as my classmates will tell you, there's, there's been some growth along the way over the past six years. Um, and definitely, uh, and that's when something that's been really awesome in seminary has just been to, to be formed not only by the priests of the seminary and the program, but also all of my brothers, uh, brother seminarians in the seminary and the way that they've formed me along the way as well. And, uh, I've really, I really loved my whole time in seminary. It's been, it's been truly a blessing, truly an honor, uh, to be able to study for the priesthood and to be formed and, um, and to now be ordained a deacon and to be uh, within a year from priest ordination. Uh, and just thanks be to God for everything that he's given to me. And I'm really excited to uh, to be ordained and to begin uh, priestly ministry out in the world and in the parishes. And, uh, and it's been amazing even now just being a deacon and beginning to do all of the things that a deacon can do. Uh, uh, just this past just this past weekend, um, got to preach at the parish um, where my parents now live. They've uh, moved again, but uh, to preach at the parish there and got to preach for the Feast of the Assumption. So that's always just been just beautiful to um, begin to do all of those things that uh, I've been looking forward to do and you've been studying to do over all these years um, and been a lot of great blessings um, along the way. So. Uh, been that's been truly amazing. I'm a little curious because I'm a I'm a convert, and in high school I would want, thought I wanted to be a Lutheran minister, and then I converted in high school and thought, well, I'm not sure that the the some of the extras that go along with being a priest is what I'm up for. But then when I was at a Catholic college, Thomas Aquinas College, I remember with all the single guys. It was like, well, the priesthood is the highest calling, and we really need to consider that. We're, you know, we're single guys here. So, um, what do you do? You remember what when some of those first, like, those first callings? What was it about the priesthood that that called to you? That that said, this there's something here that I that I'm called to do. To you? I'm curious, just as a convert from a different background here. So um, there, there are a number of things. Uh, first one was a love for our Lord, desire to be close to Christ. Uh, it's always been focused on the Mass as as the main thing that I've thought about. Uh, and it's kind of funny because it, it wasn't necessarily always through things that I would agree with or that I would think were good. So one of the things that initially stuck out to me, the priest at the parish that I grew up at, um, I, I would not agree with all of his liturgical decisions. Let's, let's put it that way. And he had one way of singing specifically the, the, of um, one of the Eucharistic prayers in a, a style that's, I, I would characterize as roughly Broadway. Um, and now thinking about that, I'm like, man, that's awful. You should not sing the mass like that. However, to 10 year old me, I was like blown away. I was like, this is so cool to be able to use your voice to to serve the Lord like this and the like just the um appeal of the liturgy itself then won out and over time we, we ended up moving from that parish to a different parish that was much more traditional and then that 
gave me the ability to deepen, to appreciate better the actual traditions of our, our Catholic faith and to see that there was a um, then flowing from that fascination with the liturgy and a desire to praise our Lord in that way came a connected love for the solidity and the history and the feeling of something greater than myself that came from the church like this. Wow, this has been here for thousands of years and the people who knew Jesus Christ personally we're saying the same things that the fathers were saying, the two and three hundreds that the monks were saying in the five and six hundreds that Thomas Aquinas was saying in the, the 13th century all the way until today. And I can I can trust this. And because I've found something that I can trust that gives my life meaning, then I'm willing to do anything for it because it's worth it. And so that, that love for the truth, that love for the beauty that the church has preserved, then I think were two of the biggest goods that attracted me to give my life to the Lord in priesthood. But I mean, ultimately that, that, that's kind of like a generic, why would you be Catholic at all? Right. Um, the, the specific call to the priesthood, I, I don't know if I can totally put words on it beyond just, that's what Christ told me to do in prayer when I was looking at him in the monstrance and that he's made it really good and worth it. And I'm really grateful. And there's actually really no amount of sufferings or hardships that could overcome the the goodness that our Lord has given to me through holy orders. So, I, th I think I uh, would agree with Father in terms of the uh, the liturgical side. That was always very big uh, for me, as I mentioned. Um, just serving at Mass and that proximity that, that that you would have, just even as a younger young boy, to seeing. Uh, seeing the priest at the altar and seeing, you know, how he is offering the sacrifice in the mass. And I think that started even just as a younger altar boy, you, you have that knowledge of the faith and that knowledge of what is going on. And that just becomes deeper and deeper. The more that you learn about your faith and the more that you attend mass over time, just over the years, it becomes more and more meaningful and more and more impactful upon your life and what you want to do and and just really seeing is this moment of the liturgy being this meeting between heaven and earth and the priest is as the mediator between god and man and i've always just looked at it as something as that's just something so incredible that the priest has that ability that he's been given by christ in order to do that and and that's something just so worth my time worth my sacrifice worth giving up every other opportunity um, I could have in the world and just this desire to pursue that. And I, I've just always found a, a deeper and greater joy every time I've been close to the altar, every time I've been able to, to serve mass, um, you know, being ordained a deacon a few months ago, just being deacon for the first time for me, I remember just finishing and being, wow, that was incredible. Just, just, taking one step closer, one step closer to the altar and that closer proximity and closer conformity uh, to our Lord has always just been a big, a big part of what inspired me. And I think, I think also another thing that I, that I saw in the priesthood kind of secondarily to that was uh, my dad is a retired Air Force Colonel. So always looked up to um, kind of that kind of men who are giving themselves to the service of something bigger than themselves. And 
laying down their lives for others. And, um, and so I've always, always kind of had this attraction to the priesthood as um, a way to s- serve in that spiritual sense of kind of being a warrior for Christ and a leader um, of souls, bringing souls to Christ and, and saving souls for God um, has always just been something that, that felt very natural to me um, growing up in a, in a, in a military, military family, that, that notion of service and self-sacrifice and um, being a man of character and everything like that, that was always inspiring me because I saw into my father and then seeing that also in the priests that I really looked up to as well was always very inspiring. Thinking back on the, the your Colby studies, is there anything that stands out from what you encountered in your Colby years that has either influenced where you are now or that comes to mind these days or impacts your life at this point? Um, I, ha- I apologize. My memory of specific Colby studies is really, really vague. <laughs> okay. It's That's coming right. up on like 20 years ago now, yeah. um, which is a scary thing to say. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, the... Uh, I, I think one of the main things was the, so my mom did not have any kind of an educational background. She was a hospital administrator before she quit her job to to teach us. Um, since then, she's become an, an educator and really dedicated to homeschool movement, to classical education broadly as well. Um, but she was still kind of learning how to do that with, with I guess, me as a guinea pig. Um, unfortunately, she could have found a much better one. Um, but uh going through especially those high school discussions about literature with her i think i remember getting into actually some pretty intense arguments um uh i, I was probably still am a little hard-headed and she can be too and i might have inherited it from her um but we've both gotten much better at this over time and it was a, a beautiful environment in which to learn how to engage with those ideas discuss them um, bring things in from the culture that didn't necessarily not culture broadly speaking right because it's not like we were reading modern things we were reading like ancient greek stuff <laughs> from like our, our cultural history that don't necessarily agree with the faith but then we can talk about them we can see how what kind of light they cast on the virtues and we can compare this to what father said in his homily last weekend and it becomes again this integral whole through talking about it together, seeing it lived out in our family, in our, our community. I think that was a really big influence on, on me that really helped me sort through all of the ideas, all the stuff that was going in my life while I was trying to discern the, the priesthood. Uh, and, and I think really just the breadth of, of everything too, that I, I knew that because of the decisions that my mom had made in educating us, that I had read a bunch more broadly than most of my my peers through college and through other relationships and so from just having seen all of this different stuff and read and gotten insight from this really uh beautiful array of the history of western culture that it it gave me uh a, a good platform to think about things to engage with others and to um really sort through why the priesthood would be important and worth doing I think for me, one of the one of the things that stands out to me from my time in Colby was the intensity of it. Um, I remember our parents even telling us, even in high school, and I think they agree to this even now, was part of the reason they chose Colby was for um, 
for the intensity of it and for the just the kind of a very solid, robust um, Catholic classical education um, for myself and for my siblings. And and so I remember that was always that was a big jump to jump into Colby High School and and to begin you know, writing all of these papers and doing all these readings and answering all of the, the different questions you'd have in the study guides and, and everything like that. I remember it being, uh, being quite, in, quite intense. Um, but it also was something that I, I found was very formative uh, because of that intensity uh, that, that we went through and that, and that we were educated in was uh, one of the big things that stood out to me was all the writing that we would do. Um, you know, you're writing all these papers for literature and for history and for, um, I think, I think theology as well. Um, and I mean, that's something that has been really, really helpful all the way through seminary, everything that I've done in seminary in terms of, um, writing papers in seminary. And then even, even now when I've, uh, been writing sermons, I was on assignment, uh, this, uh, this past summer. And the priest said, "Okay, you're preaching every single week, um, and so to write, you know, to write it, to write a sermon every week was, you know, falling back all the way back on those Colby skills of, of, of writing those, uh, those papers on whatever book you've been reading, or uh, the this part in this history paper to talk about this episode in history or something like that." Um, my dad always graded our papers, and he was he was ruthless. He was ruthless. Um, so, and, but, but that was always just so helpful because it was just understanding how to convey ideas properly and how to, uh, think through the subject matter and then actually present it in such a way that's, that's reasonable for somebody else to understand and something that's, you know, grammatically correct and, and getting your mind in that trained in that sort of, uh, that sort of mode of being able to read something and then think about it in kind of a critical manner, um, which is something that I think is very, something that I see in myself and my siblings because we went through COVID that we're able to do going into the world, uh, going into the world now of when, uh, when we hear something in, in the news or something that happens or somebody says something with, you know, something that's going on in the modern culture, you're able to actually respond to that in a very logical, rational, and in the best sense of the word, a critical way. And to approach that with a Catholic mindset, but also the mindset of the thought of all of kind of Western civilization backing you up because you've been trained in that tradition, which is, which is our heritage. And, uh, and that's been just, just really cool to see whenever you get to see those glimpses of wow like what a gift i've been given to be to be formed in this way um through through my high school years and that was always such a uh something that i've leaned back upon uh so many times uh which i i found has really helped me and supported me uh in seminary and now uh beginning ministry as a deacon, and I'm sure it'll continue uh, into the priesthood as well. I can see how that is quite valuable to to your service and your, your daily doings these days. Do you have any 
advice for students who, for listeners, uh, Colby students or other listeners who, who might be prospective seminarians and or their families that you'd like to give them to think about or anything along those lines? The, the the most important discernment advice that I ever got was um, to identify the good and to choose something good, right? Like it's a bad idea to go to seminary because you're afraid of girls. It is a good idea to go to seminary because you love our Lord and you desire to serve him, right? It's a bad idea to get married because you are afraid of God actually calling you to be a priest and you don't want to do it. It's a good idea to get married because you actually love the girl and want to be with her. Right. Um, and so I, I think it's in order to recognize that good and to discern well, then you need to, uh, in using St. Augustine's terminology, we need to expand the capacity of our heart to love and to desire the good. Um, and the way you do that is by in prayer and, and letting God do the work for you. Uh, I really think one of the good things about homeschool life is that it provides a much better atmosphere for high schoolers and their and families in general to to pray together and to learn prayer. Uh, I was really uh, edified by by Deacon's story about his family praying, and I know it's something that was really critical to to me and in my own time as well. And so, just praying as a family, uh, making sure, especially your high schoolers, have time to pray in silence is so important for them to find the love of our Lord Jesus Christ and have him tell them what they need to do. And really beyond that love, everything else falls into place. If, if you have that central piece, um, there's a lot of details and it's very easy to get caught up in them though. So I, I don't want to dismiss like everything else, like it doesn't matter. Um, but that love is the main guiding light. And it's, if you get that right, like, again, like St. Augustine says, love and do what you will, because you'll be motivated by the love of God, and it doesn't permit uh, the love of lesser things to get in the way. Beautiful. I definitely agree wholehearted with what Father had to say there. Um, I think something that comes to mind, um, what I would say is that uh, when I think we think about okay, discerning vocation uh, through high school and things like that is that um, I mean, ultimately, as, as father was saying, like, the, you know, vocation is something that's born in prayer and born and is, uh, is a calling from God, uh, ultimately. And so what's going on in the home and in, and in, and in, uh, and in your schooling through high school should really be a kind of disposing for that. And I think Colby can be kind of a Colby Academy can be a way that you kind of create, as Father's talking about, that atmosphere to dispose um, young men and young men for the priesthood. And um, so that kind of getting this Catholic mindset and, and using homeschooling in a way that it's supporting your Catholic faith and your and the living of that out of attending Mass or, as Father said, uh, making holy hours in the presence of our Lord, um, homeschooling can be used as a very strong tool um, in that. And, um, and I, and I think it's important also to remember that disposing here, and it's not just specifically, well, if I do all these things, right, then my children will, my sons will end up as priests. It's like, okay, and like you're disposing them, but ultimately you're disposing your children to be good Catholics. And, you know, for men who enter the, the priesthood, um, good Catholic priests, come from good Catholic men. 
So that's kind of the disposing and, and the and the educating and the formation that that should really be going on um, during the homeschool years. And so I think focusing on that and then that atmosphere should be encouraging of the vocation, but not necessarily demanding it. Um, so and so that's what I guess I would encourage everyone is to uh, families is to encourage and support, you know, young men who are thinking about the priesthood. Um, but it is something that just as the young man needs to be open to God's calling. So also the family in some way needs to be open uh, either way to God's will, to the priesthood or, or not. Um, but Colby Academy can be a beautiful part of that disposing um, young men towards the priesthood. Someone who wasn't called to the priesthood, um, I've seen like through my married life that throughout my my life, my wife has been instrumental in my approaching holiness. And so I, I just it's I can't imagine, you know, making the journey without my my wife. But it's one of the things that always stands out to me in today's society. A lot of the the priests, most of the priests that I know are are on their own a lot. I mean, so obviously you've talked about that you have to have that relationship with God because, well, I mean, of course, but um, how would you advise somebody who's trying to discern, a young man discerning the priesthood about that step where you, you realize you may very much be alone, you know, by once you, in today's world as a priest, is that something that you had to consider or, or is it not really that, big of a thing that you have to think about I, I think it is a big deal um and it's a little bit different for the the two of us on here so so deacon ohotniki's uh, religious order provides for a degree of community life and so I, I don't know about all of the um fraternity priests and their assignments across the country but i know here the fraternity parish in dayton they have two or three priests who live together and, and share the priesthood together. Um, and and um, for us diocesan priests, generally, um, you, you have another priest or two in the area, even if you don't live together. Um, it's not, it's, it's kind of interesting though. Um, and I, I imagine there's some uh, similarities in a marriage, although it's not exactly the same. Um, the, you living with someone puts, responsibilities obligations on you and then the, the same on the other person because you have to work together to make the house run um and but there's a way that priests can do it in which even if you are all living together it's like ships that pass each other in the night and, and you never see the other priest because yeah, he's either in his office or going to bed the uh I, I think the biggest thing is one of the things that the the, the the good deacon was talking about a moment ago is that being formed as a good catholic man and uh, ultimately, that comes down to uh, your own cooperation with the graces that God gives you to build virtue and to not it's not a self-sufficiency because that's a, a kind of dangerous false ideal, but rather it's uh, trust in our Lord and an ex acceptance of the, the kind of necessary solitude that Christ entered into himself in the agony in the garden. Um, and when he says like, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me on the cross? Uh, I say that it kind of sounds scary. Like, Oh no. Okay. I, I might end up having to be totally alone and it's going to be suffering, but God is going to get me through it somehow it is not actually how I'd characterize the priesthood. I've been so blessed with other good priest friends. Uh, fraternity among priests is one of the greatest gifts that God gives us. 
And it's an incredibly beautiful thing. I was just uh, a small gathering with some other priests of our archdiocese uh, yesterday evening at uh, one of my classmates' parents' house. And it was just awesome. It was so good to talk to the other guys and they pray for us. And one of them agreed to hear my confession because I hadn't been in a couple weeks. And that love and support between us as brothers is so good. And it's been a huge support. And then another one is I've... Um, there's a bunch of really good Catholic families uh, near the parishes that I'm assigned. Uh, they were my parishioners before, but then I moved and they're not my parishioners anymore, but they're still my friends. And uh, they've just been incredibly supportive and they've, it's a different kind of friendship than you can have with another priest just because our lives are different, but it, it's still very good. And it's a, it's a great blessing. And so even while I come home at night and it's just me and my dog here at the rectory, uh, God is incredibly good and he does provide those human consolations of friendship in order for us to be able to dive into that relationship with him. That's then the primary focus of our lives. Yeah. Father is correct. And, and we do have more of an aspect of, uh, trying to always have two priests in all of our, at least two priests in all of our different apostolates, um, and kind of there are certain uh, aspects of community life we try to keep in all of those houses, um, such as, you know, eating together some of the time and praying um, certain hours of the office together. Um, but as Father said, there can still be that kind of two ships passing in the night um, problem there as well. Yeah, I think um, I think every every priest, every young man who uh, is approaching uh, his priest ordination has to consider that aspect of loneliness and, and kind of, you have to kind of wrestle with that as well. And, um, but it, because it's true, it's the priest is in a way he is lonely. I mean, he doesn't have that companionship that a married man does. And so, but one of the things that he, he constantly leans back upon is that, is that grace of his vocation is that, when he is ordained, when he is when he is chosen by God and and has been ordained a priest, he then always receives those graces in order to live out his vocation. And he's been given a specific grace that is not given to the married man. And he's been given the grace to faithfully and joyfully and have happiness um, in this life as a priest, as um, in that sense, in that loneliness. But that comes through his faithfulness to his vocation and living that out. Um, I was reading this uh, uh, this book. It's it's entitled In In Sinu Yezu. It's a reflections of a priest um, and his kind of conversations with our Lord. And and one of the passages in there that really struck out to me was uh, our Lord telling this priest about how all of the loneliness that is felt in the heart of a priest has been put there by God for the sake of drawing that priest uh, towards, towards God and that God himself and that priest coming before the altar in prayer and coming before the altar in the mass, that's really where he finds that true, uh, that's where he is no longer lonely. And that's where he is, um, he finds that joy in his priesthood uh, is there in the presence of Christ because that's what that's what he's been created for and that's what he's been ordained for that's what he's been called to um, and so there's a, there's a there's a certain natural loneliness that exists but with 
his uh, union with our Lord that he's able to have because he is he is freer for the sake of the service of God and for the sake of contemplation. That's the that's the reason he is alone. Therefore, in that contemplation of God before the Eucharist and before the altar um, is where uh, he is no longer alone and um, where he finds that uh, and where his heart can rest. Your word was sacred, right, Stephen? I can see that woven throughout this whole conversation, all throughout it. The sense of the sacred is very much present in this whole conversation. Yeah. Well, as sort of an addendum to this section of our conversation about uh, potential seminarians, those who might be discerning uh, heading to seminary following their Colby years at some point, uh, I checked in with our one of our Colby advisors, Erica Treat, who is a friend of the Colby cast, as I like to call her. She reiterated the the necessity of, of involving our Colby advisors in in families' plans and students' plans as they are uh, traversing their Colby years and keeping the advisor in the loop on that so that the advisor can be of, of service in in supporting them with administration and advising duties as well as prayer. They do all that. Um, the seminaries require official transcripts, so keeping records is important. So having that sort of from the get-go is helpful so that there's not a scramble at the end. Of course, all of our Colby High Schoolers are encouraged to take four years of theology, so uh, everybody's in good stead that way in, in that aspect of formation. So uh, keep your advisor in the loop on these plans as you would any other post-Colby plans. Okay. Do you all have any thoughts for homeschooling families living in parish life as participating in parish life as former homeschoolers yourselves and now serving in parish ministry as you do? What would you say to the homeschoolers among you? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, there's a lot. Um, I'm really grateful that there are a good number of homeschooling families around our parishes. Uh, it's it's good. Um, so, uh, like I said before, we've got six parishes. Two of those have parochial schools, uh, and then the other four do not. Um, and there are some priests who view homeschoolers as um, lost potential students and therefore the enemy. Uh, I'm certainly not one of those. Um, I, I think instead that there's a beautiful complementarity between the mission of my parish schools, which is really the same as the, the mission of homeschooling to form good Catholic youth to become good Catholic men and women who are going to grow in holiness and serve the Lord throughout their lives in an integrally and whole human way. Um, they end up in slightly different roles, and I end up more with the homeschoolers. I don't live at one of the parishes that has a school, and I was homeschooled, so I end up interacting with uh, the homeschoolers more. They've made wonderful altar servers, um, especially in those times when our parish school kids would not have made it <laughs> because they're not all on the same schedule and locked in place. Um, I found a really good... It, it, they've been for me personally as a priest and especially a, a priest who was homeschooled. There's There's been a real good connection there. Um, where I've been able to meet meet families and uh, interact with the kids in a way that's that's comfortable and familiar for me, and so it's been just an up op great opportunity to um, foster some new vocations among a bunch of of new homeschooled kids growing up. I think that one thing that's important is that um, homeschoolers have an availability to the parish for prayer and for other kind of stuff that other families don't. 
and that if they take advantage of that, if they are there at those things during the day when when other school kids wouldn't be able to pray or to serve a holy hour, that if they they jump at those opportunities, that if there were any potential thoughts that were bad about them from the parish, that they'll very quickly evaporate. Um, because it's just great to see this family with like 12 kids trotting up and three of the oldest boys are servers and oh they're all right, holy hour is taken care of. I'm really glad this family is part of my parish. Um and I, I I also think that um when homeschool communities then contribute to the community life of the whole parish, it, there's a, a tendency that I've seen sometimes for them to pull away to like, okay, we've got our own different community over here. We don't necessarily trust the community at the parish school or the the broader parish. Um I I that that's certainly possible. It's I've certainly seen it happen all of the time. But when I've seen homeschool families that do really integrate themselves into the broader parish community. I've seen tons and tons of fruit come from it. And I've been really edified by, uh, for example, there's a, um, a family that I'm, I'm, I'm good friends with that have five young kids and the, the son was learning how to serve. I think he's 11 maybe. Um, and the uh, one of the old ladies who's always there praying in, in the church gave him this con compliment for how he had served that day. And it was just explosion of joy. And uh, you know, like it's just, it's just so good to see those otherwise two very separate elements of parish communal life um, brought together and uh, benefiting each other and uh, leading each other to, to holiness through what God is doing in individual different parts. So I know there's a, a temptation, a possibility to feel separate from the rest of the parish community, but it's good and God can do good things through your family being involved in the parish and can do good things for you by being involved in the parish. So. All right. Deacon, you have anything you want to add to that? No, not really. I would, okay. I was, I would definitely agree with father in that terms of you have that of availability that someone who's in a school doesn't have. And that can be just a great means of the sanctification um, of your whole family. Um, and so it, uh, homeschooling can be used in just in an incredible way um, as as an aid for that for the service of the church um, and uh, and for the sanctification sanctification of the family. Okay, this has been the highlight of my day getting to visit with you all. Thank you for spending this time with us. Please know of our prayers for each of you in your ministries and Deacon as you approach ordination and Father as you continue in yours and in, into the time beyond, we, we will keep you all in mind and in prayer and please do keep in touch. Thank you so much for coming to visit with us on the Colby cast. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was, it was a great joy. Thank you so much for the opportunity and, and hopefully it's helpful to you all. Subscribe to the Colby Cast on your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss an episode. And let us know how we're doing by leaving a rating or review. And as always, feel free to email us at podcast at colby.org. Mary, our mother, pray for us. St. Maximilian Colby, pray for us. Ad maiorem Dei Gloriam.